We're going to continue, and this will be the final week that we're, we'll be focusing on the question, what is the fear of the Lord? So just, um, and then we'll take up another question. Or two. Lord, I already started the recording. Well, let's, uh, let's read from um, Exodus 25, verses 8 and 9. Verse 25, 8 and 9. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. Exactly. Say, let's say that. Exactly. Exactly. That's a, pretty pr- that's a pretty strong word, right? The Lord's saying, you know, pay attention to detail. Don't, don't just exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all this furniture, so you shall make it. Father, thank you, Lord, for uh, this moment that we can. Lord, it's been good as I've been thinking and praying about this series. And I'm just, you know, for years I've, I've been wanting to just touch on this topic of the fear of the Lord. And there's just so many wonderful things to consider in the word. And I don't think I've ever really had in 10 years a series on the fear of the Lord. And, and it was so foundational. That was my mistake. Lord. That was my error. And I pray that this has been a helpful series because we can't say everything that we can say about the fear of the Lord. But we just pray that by the Spirit, this would be uh, something that we can pursue prayerfully, asking that we can grow in the fear of the Lord, that we can be a people, Lord, that could truly walk as the New Testament church, walking in the fear of the Lord, not just preaching about it, not just teaching about it, but walking in the fear of the Lord. And so we pray for that in our church. We, we realize the need in our generation for the fear of the Lord. And the fear of the Lord is clean. Psalmist said it endures forever. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord. And so, Father, we, we pray for that work in us. And so direct our hearts, our mind, help us to listen, help us to speak. Holy Spirit, do a profound work in us, we pray. Amen. So we're, we are in the design of the church, and I hope that you could see a little connection. I mean, you know, obviously we want to understand the design of the church, but I, I felt it was important. Or, you know, I felt the, the Lord really directed me. Like, how do we understand anything in the Bible? How do we get to know real knowledge? We don't want to just be filled with information. You know, we, wanna, we, want life, we want the things of God to transform us. We want that well, the stuff that we read in the Bible, they would have real impact in our lives. Like, all the word of God is pure and holy, and that changes us. How do we do that? You know, and, and Proverbs 1.7 tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And so we, um, you know, we, that's where we want to start. We felt like that we need, we need to kind of take into consideration the fear of the Lord. And, uh, and so we decided that we were going to ask two questions, one which we will wrap today, and then we'll take one hopefully for just maybe a week next week for another question. We're asking, number one, what is the fear of the Lord? And, and again, I can't, I'm not going to take, the fear of the Lord is a vast, vast, vast can't speak everything on the fear of the Lord, but uh, just to give you some things to, I think, um, I, the reason I'm, I'm stressing what I am stressing about the fear of the Lord is because I do believe that in our culture, in our Christian culture, there's been a lot said about fear of the Lord, but sometimes people don't really put it, frame it, I think, in a way, the way the Bible frames it. And the Bible frames it in a very consistent way, and I, as much as I'm just going to stick with the framework of the Bible and, and try to show 
what, what in, in most likely what's in view in, in the scripture. So we're asking what is the fear of the Lord, and then Lord willing, this is going to be a good one, I think. Why is the fear of the Lord? Why is the fear of the Lord um, such a, Laura, you get to pick the next question. Um, why is the fear of the Lord um, the beginning of wisdom, the beginning of knowledge? It makes perfect sense. And I hope, my hope is that after next week, you're going to have a lens to interpret everything that happens in your life in the news that will bring great joy. So that's kind of my aim, that when you, the fear of the Lord is going to be a lens, a hermeneutical lens, a way to interpret everything that happens for your joy so that you can praise God and glorify God. So we're going to see how the fear of the Lord makes life exciting. Life is not mundane. Life is not boring when you see it through the lens of the fear of the Lord. So, so I'm excited for that. But let's con- let, let's um, we've asked the question, what is the fear of the Lord? So first of all, we said that the fear of the Lord presupposes a real experience with God himself. You know, an unbeliever cannot have the fear of the Lord, right? The, the Bible says it very clear in Romans, there is no fear of God in their heart. There's none. There must first be an encounter with God in order to kind of initiate and to kind of introduce the idea of the fear of the Lord. And we see that in Exodus 20, um, in Exodus 28, the people had just came out of the people had just came out of Egypt, and the first order of business. In other words, this is kindergarten. This is spiritual kindergarten. As soon as they came out of Egypt, they all registered to go to school, and the first kindergarten class that God offers is Exodus 19 and 20, and He gets His people together and basically says, "Okay, okay, children, this is the first day of class, and the first day of class." is this gathering. Now, when all the people saw the thunder, uh, the flashes of lightning, the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, right? right, The people afraid and trembled. They stood far up. In other words, they, they had an encounter. They, that was the moment where they're being introduced to God for the first time. And so there has to be an experience first with God and his presence for you to even have a point of reference. If we don't have an experience with God, our, we have no point of reference. Is that, is that true about anything? You know, there are things in life, people can say something, and I don't know what they're saying because I have no point of reference. But, but the encounter with God gives us a point of reference. Second of all, second of all not only does it presuppose an uh, encounter, a real experience with God, the, the fear of the Lord involves an emotional response. You know, like there is an emotional response. You know? It, you know, and these are the kinds of things that I think that people don't tend to accent when they talk about the fear of the Lord. They try to keep it kind of like abstract, theological. Well, no, if the fear of the Lord is real, the fear of the Lord it has an emotional response. We see that the people there, um, when they were, when they saw the mountain and the thunderfly, the people were afraid. They were afraid. You know, they 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 were indifferent. It means that right, what does that imply? That before that moment, they were not afraid. But when the mountain started shaking, emotionally something changed. Can we can we give can, can we take that? You know, is that reasonable to think that there was an emotional change from ah, what a, this is a nice day. This is pretty, pretty cool. This is where I'll hear the sun, right? The birds are flying, right? But as soon as the thunder and the mountain shaking and the sound of something changed. <laughs> and so so the, so when we encounter God. 
there's going to be an emotional response. And in this case, they were afraid. They were afraid. Second of all, and, and we already went, we went through that. If you want to listen to that, you can listen to the sermon. Thirdly, thirdly, not only w- was there uh, uh, an emotional response to the presence of God, there was a bodily response. Right? There was a bodily response. The Bible says that they were not only afraid, but they trembled. Right? They trembled. They trembled. They, they, um, um, I think we have a scripture there, Laura. Um, they, you know, they, 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 they felt in their body the, the, the emotional feeling produced trembling. And I shared with you my story when I went to the ambulance. I was shaking like a leaf. I couldn't. I couldn't stop it. We, you know, we said that you know trembling is a is a result of some stimulus. Right. Um, Look at Hebrews 12.21. Hebrews 12.21 says, Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. Moses, is he comfortable with God? Does he love God? You better believe it. He's comfortable. He loves God. God is his best friend. But does that mean that he doesn't tremble? No, he trembled because God is God. And he says, I tremble with fear. How awesome that is, right? And so, so trembling is a response to stimulus, and trembling is, a, is an involuntary response that you cannot control. You can't control trembling. When it comes upon you, I dare you to say, stop trembling, body. It, it won't happen. You know, Psalm 48, 6, trembling took hold of them, you know, took hold of them. And so how, do we ca- how can we understand this meaning of trembling with the fear of the Lord? I think Psalm 119, 120 really, I think, puts it into good context. My flesh trembles. We tremble because we're flesh. <laughs> we tremble because he's God and I'm not. <laughs> we tremble because he's big and mighty and magnificent, and I'm just a small little six-inch guy. It, it's not complicated. And this should inform our lives all the time. And this is what it means to walk in the fear of the Lord, is to never forget that. He's God mighty. This is his world, not my world. He calls the shots. He commands, right? The idea that we serve, and I, I, w- I wouldn't want any other kind of God, right? I want a God who's strong and mighty, amen, that I, reliable. Yeah, yeah. He, he, he's difficult sometimes to understand. I'm okay with that because he's perfect in his being. Amen? You know, I mean, I mean, think about David. You know, David, right? Do you remember that story, David? He's like, the, the, the ark is coming to back to Jerusalem, right? And he's like dancing. <laughs> and the poor Uzzah, yeah, Uzzah, you know, poor Uzzah, the, the ark is about to, you know, it's about to fall. And Uzzah, like any one of us would have done, said, whoa, 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 whoa. And the Lord strikes Uzzah dead. I'm like, what? And David's like, and the Bible said that from that day he was afraid. <laughs> Have you ever had moments like that? I've had them. You've had them. We've all had them. You can't. You, you think you figured out God? We're not, we won't figure him out. But but did that did that disrupt? Did David said, I'm going back to crack. <laughs> I'm drinking. I can't take this no more. You know that's what we do. We 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 like we like. Well, that's it. Let's drink it up, boys. 
But David said, I, I, I can handle, I can handle this, this rupture right now. I'm, I'm not comfortable. I, 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 I got to figure this out. But he, but he began to, little by little, I, that's what I love, he began to search. He said, what did I do wrong, Lord? What did he do wrong? And he found out what he did wrong. God told him, you, you got too happy. And you, di you, you didn't do it exactly like I told you to. You don't put my, uh, my covenant in a new heart by putting a new heart inside of me. Oh, right? So th th there's, there's a method to the madness. <laughs> God, God is not this irrational, like emotional, like I'm riddling. Right? God, God, there's reason why God does that. He struck Uzzah dead. And David wrestled with God. He said, I won't get it. T take this away. He even said, look, can't take, take this out, put, put, in, put it in the house of Abinadab, it was. I'll just put it there. I, I don't know what to do with it. That's okay to be, it's okay to wrestle with God. You know, if, if we just, I mean, how many people, their relationship is just like this, oh, praise the Lord, hallelujah. <laughs> That's not real. That's not real. Re reality is engaging with God, and, and, and he does things. Lord, what, what's going on? I prayed about this, and this thing died. <laughs> right, and you're wrestling with God, but it, all along, you're you're holding on to him because you know he's faithful. And David knew he was faithful. Then David said, okay. And that David repented. He said, but Levi, sorry, Levi, you come out. You take it out. Bible says the ark. So Levi took the ark. And it was a great celebration. Amen? People trembled. I trembled. My flesh, right? But today, the last, the last thing we want to do is, um, the last thing, let's go to um. Our last. The fear of the Lord presupposes a real experience with God, right? So you got to have that experience with God. And you haven't had that experience with God. And you say, Lord, you know, do this, do this. That's where seeking the Lord comes in. When I first came to the Lord, I, had, I saw a lot of people having, you know, God meeting other people. But I was like, Lord, I'm not, not me. And I could have said, nah, this doesn't work for me. I could have said that, right? I could have said, uh, you know, I said, no. I'm going to seek the Lord. I'm going to ask him. I'm going to ask him, Lord, I want to know you. I want to know you, Lord. So you seek God. You seek the Lord. You seek his presence. You ask him, God, I, I want to encounter you. I want to experience you. I want to feel your love. Not that we live by feelings, but we want to have a real relationship with God that is rooted in truth, but that there's evidence, that, right, a real relationship. God never intended you to just go about like, yeah, I hope one day. I mean, we live by faith, absolutely, but the Lord wants a real relationship with his people. So you seek God and encourage those. Perhaps you might be in that place like I was. For several months, I was like, Lord, going home discouraged because I felt like everybody was blessed except me. I said, wait, say that again. You blessed everybody. How do you do this? How can you bring a wave? And when it comes to me, it just divides. <laughs> it's like, whoop. I'm like, I'm like, Lord, what's up with that? Pass me not, oh, gentle. I mean, that was my favorite song. <laughs> Hear my humble cry. Right? That was, that was my favorite song, literally. 
Pass me not, O gentle Savior. But you know what? That caused motivation in me to keep the gospel. Because I knew, despite the lies of Satan telling me, oh, he doesn't really love you. Look at you. You're going home again. Dry. <laughs> it's like everybody's saying they had the, glor- mo- the best experience in their life. <laughs> and I would go home, and I would just get on my bed and get on my knees. And it's not like the next day, whoa, thank you, Lord. <laughs> no. <laughs> that would be wonderful, right? <laughs> and the Lord answered, and, and, and they picked me out of my flood. They just literally shut my legs up. And, and I was like, whoa, Lord, take it easy. <laughs> no, it didn't happen that way. It was just like seeking God, fasting, seeking God, fasting, Lord. I'm here, my humble. I want to know you. I want to know you. I want to know you. That's what's missing sometimes, that we, we just want God to come in and give us a massage, but we don't want to seek God and say, Lord, I'm going to set aside three days to fast because I want your presence in this life. And I, and I praise God. I don't know. It was God's grace that I just plowed through it. I said, no, I want to know God. I'm not, I, I, I want to know God. And that desire and that hunger, and sure enough, probably took like eight months to start to say, okay, God, something's happening. Amen? Yeah. If you seek me, Jesus said, you will, you will find me. When you seek me, seek me with your desire, not divided. That problem is the d- divided heart. That's our big problem. And come on, let's be honest. Our generation is just so full of distractions that our hearts are divided. We just don't come to the place where it's like, Lord, all I want is you. And, and, and you know that the Lord knows that we have responsibilities and we will be divided. That's just the nature of the beast. We're gonna, they're going to be but there ought to be seasons in our lives where we say, for this season, I am going to kind of prioritize you. And that's why there are seasons where we take it up a notch. And we say, Lord, yes, I've got responsibility. I can't be, a, I'm not going to become a monk as much as I would love to be the monk, you know, in the morning. <laughs> like this. And you, imagine that, you, ever, you heard about the Indian guy that has his hand raised for like, like 20 years. <laughs> I'm like, is that even possible? <laughs> and you see his arm, and his arm is like, is like literally like this. But he has not raised his arm. He has not raised his hand down. I, and I don't know how many times. He's like this. I'm like, <laughs> if they, what a commitment. I, I, and he's doing it for some reason. But he's like this. <laughs> and wherever he goes, and you see that little strip of an arm. I mean, it, it, it can't be healthy. <laughs> so don't try that. <laughs> but, but, but. I said, look at that, hands raised. I, I don't know why he's doing it, but, but the commitment to what, how much more us when we want to encounter God and say, Lord, let me, let me take a season. And that's why we do these prayer and fastings too. Because I tell you the truth, it's, it's, I feel strengthened when we do it together. If it's myself, I, I find it harder. But two are better than one. And three, right? So when we, when we pray and fast, it's like, ah, I know others are praying and fasting, so it, it motivates us too. So we do that to encourage each other, to pray, seek God. Let's, let's really seek the Lord. 
so that we can encounter this presence of God that would become the foundation of our relationship, right? This, this, the tr- it's like truth revealed, truth manifested. All right, so second of all, right, we, we have this emotional response. Thirdly, we have this physical response. And now today, fourthly, there's a behavioral response to the fear of God, right? There's a behavior. There's something that you do. There's something not only that you feel, there's not just something in your body where you feel your own weakness. You know, when you, when you encounter God, you realize, man, I'm not that great. You know? <laughs> I'm kind of weak, right? That's good. It deals with our pride and our arrogance, right? When we realize I'm not that strong. I'm not that. I need God. And your flesh trembles. Don't stop. Let the flesh tremble. Let the flesh know he is God. I am not. But there's also a behavior. A behavior. Look, let's look at Exodus 20 and 10. Now, when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning, the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoke, the people were afraid. They trembled and they stood afar off. They stood far off. Ah, what is all that about? Why did they stand far off? The word stand is to take a position, to take a stand. It's the, it's the idea of taking, occupying a place. To adopt a, a firm position on a particular matter. Not to be wavering. Not to be vacillating. Right? How long shall be you halt between two opinions? Remember uh, Elijah and the prophets? How long will you be limping between two opinions? But the word not only means to take a position, to take a stand, to take a firm stand, but it usually means to, to be done in a public setting. You know, when you go to court and um, so-and-so is going to take the what? Stand. What does that mean? Um, George, uh, please come to the stand. Okay, George, you know, George stands on a stand. Now, he's going to make a public testimony, and he has to take the stand. Right? He, he's going to give, this is what I saw. Right? He's going to be, well, I'm not really sure. You know, you ever seen those, those witnesses? <laughs> uh, yeah, they get crucified by the attorneys, right? Because they're not taking any stand. But a good witness takes a stand, right? Takes a stand and speaks, this is what I saw. He broke the window. Clobber the guy in the head, yeah, he's taking a stand, you know, and he's saying the truth. And so that's the idea. And so in other words, the idea of taking a stand means that they're no longer considering the opinions of others. Right? You're, 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 not, con- you're not like wondering what everyone else says. Like as Christians, we need to take a stand. The fear of the Lord helps us, right, to take a stand, right? But, but to take a stand, you know, uh, and not to be wondering what else, what, what else people believe. Like, you need to find out and be careful with all these internet preachers. Be very careful. You need to research the information yourself. You need to get into the word of God and, and test. You need to do that with me. You can't just sit there and say, well, that man says that, so I, I accept it. No, that would, be, that would be abomination. You should go to the scripture and say, let me see if that's true. In other words, all of us need to take a stand, and, and that comes 
by examining the facts, going to the word of God, right? So that's why taking a stand is often looked at as an act of courage. The, the people on that, they stood. I love the word of God because the word of God just gives us these magnificent pictures that I, I see what they mean spiritually. They stood. Obviously, the implication is that before this moment, they were not in that same position. This was as a result of the thunder and the lightning and the and then they stood. Do you see how God is, right? God is so faithful. And then, secondly, the word far off. So the, now, 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 the, now the day, you know, they took a stand. But the question is, what stand did they take? What was their position? Well, the Bible calls it far off. They took a stand, and that position was to be far off. Right? It, it, far off means distant, remote, to be distant, to be remote. Um, it, it has to do with proximity. The word, the word is, you know, has, is related to proximity. What does proximity describe? It describes the distance between two objects. So they're taking a firm position with relationship to distance with, with some object. And the position that they're taking is, ah, move far away, <laughs> not closer. <laughs> the other way, go the other way. Go the other way, turn around. <laughs> right? It was not like, well, should I go left or right? Not this way. <laughs> Do you see that? They stood far off. They took a position. That, that word far off is actually used in the Bible um, theologically to mean oftentimes the greatest possible distance. Look at, look at, look at Psalm 119. Look how this word is used in the Bible. Psalm 119, 155. Salvation is what? Far. How far is that? <laughs> is that like, no, this is like very far. Far from the wicked. Sobering. You might read that well. We read that like, well, salvation is far from the wicked. No, it's like that's a tragedy. That salvation will be so far. That's why you don't want to be wicked. Right? Don't, don't be wicked. Don't be wicked. Right? Even a, a child can understand this, right? And we trifle with wickedness. We trifle with sin. I'm like, are you kidding me? You're gonna be salvation will be far from you. But it gets even worse. Uh, you know, look, look at the word is actually oftentimes used to describe something that is unreachable. Unreachable. Look at Ecclesiastes 7.24. That which has been, right, is what? Far off. Same word. In other words, how far is yesterday to today? Can you go back? If you try very hard, if you close your eyes and say, come on yesterday, come on yesterday, come on yesterday, how, how far, how close will you get? Zilch. <laughs> Nothing. It's gone. Unreachable. But it gets even worse. I'm trying to get this picture, right? When the people stood far off, don't just interpret it like, oh, they just took an, a couple of inches, you know. 
the spiritual picture is that this was a, a, a dramatic pulling away to get as far as possible. Look, look at, look at um, Psalm 22, 1, 24. Look how the word is used here. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is it. This is the greatest possible distance. Why are you what? And we know what happened at the cross was there was a separation when Christ was forsaken for our sins, right? That was quite the distance that he took for us. Amen? So, in other words, the, the people took a definite stand, and it was just not to create a little bit of distance. I think the picture here that the Bible is trying to paint is something of great distance, great distance. So, the question is, what is really happening? What is happening? Why are they standing far off? I believe that this is introducing to the people a new perspective, a new paradigm in their minds, in their mindset. See, not all manifestations of the presence of God have this effect, praise God, right? So it's like this was not the regular service every week. <laughs> Isn't that God? God is good. You know, it's, not, it's not like God's going, okay, to, uh, next week we're going to repeat this whole experience again. God doesn't do that. These are specific moments that come to the life of the believer where God wants to introduce. Not all of God's manifestations are all the same to us. There are things that he does that are know, are, are distinct in their purpose, right? Are there things that, that we just have to realize that God is not this monolithic, this, you know, he's, he's a God of diversity. He has different ways that he wants to teach us things. But one of the things that he does is that he does, he does give us a moments when we come into contact with something of the fierceness and the greatness of God, and it's meant to humble you and to say, oh, God, raise me again as you trouble me. Right? There are moments when we should be engaging with God and, and, and that things are healthy and they build something of the fear of the Lord in us. But on this day, the, God did, the people did take, did take a, um, a definite position with respect to themselves and the manifested presence of God. There, there was clearly something. Up until this time, their relationship to the presence of God was not of major concern to them. They had no idea. That, like, right, they had no point of reference, right? So to be honest, there was an ignorance, right? It's not their fault. It's just, you know, our ignorance is sometimes the reality. We, we don't know. So when, when, when Moses tells them, um, hey, we're going to have a meeting. Come down, consecrate yourself. What are they thinking? They're like thinking, well, it's going you know, to be nice. Praise God, you know, we're going to have a good time. Right? They're not, they had no point of reference. You know, I could, I could see a child going up to their dad. Hey, hey, dad, why, why are we getting ready? Well, you know, our, our leader, Moses, you know, bless his name. <laughs> it's like our leader has asked us to come, and he's going he's gonna to speak to us. He's going to give us some instructions. We gotta, we're going to figure out where we go from here, right? The expectations were kind of normal. I don't think that they were, like, anticipating anything, any of this. They had no idea what was about to happen. They, they, had, they had not really encountered the presence of God. They had seen the signs in Egypt, obviously. But I don't think that was enough to prepare them for what they were about to experience. Right? They, we could see all kinds of signs, but the presence of God 
when it's pointed at us and it's really like, uh, it does make an impact, which is unique and distinct from just seeing a sign. Oh, wow, look at this wonderful sign. This person got healed. This person got saved. Beautiful. But there's something distinct when God reveals himself to you in a personal way. And so they come, to, they come down. They gather down this mountain. And, you know, they have no expectation of the presence of God. None whatsoever. Just like millions of Christians on Sunday morning. <laughs> they get dressed. And so what are we doing? We're just going to go to church, sing some songs. And then we're going to hear the preacher speak. He's going to give us some good lesson. Then we're going to come home and have barbecue and chicken. Right? <laughs> Let's be honest. So many people, they, they just have no expectation. And a lot of it, sadly, is because, guess what? For 50 years, that's exactly what has happened. Right? People come. They, they sing a few songs. They go. They see a preach. The preacher talks a good sermon. They got some good points. They go home. Let's be honest, a lot of people just have no expectation of the presence of God. Do most people go to church and say, okay, Lord, today could be a day we could be in the house of God for 10 hours. Do you think most people think like that? They'd be like, after an hour and a half. Most services are like an hour and 20. <laughs> uh, <laughs> right? How many people really say, today, it could be a 12-hour marathon? I say that every Sunday. Lord, could today we can come down and ten of you that we can't stop the speaking. We can't stop the praising you. Amen? And sometimes I feel it. <laughs> I'm up here, I say, I think today's the day. <laughs> and I'm like, something is brewing, Lord. Something is, Lord. And I'm like, Lord, right? You sense it. An expectation for the presence of God to come and, and do what, what we cannot do. To comfort your heart, to strengthen you, to help you overcome things. That you can leave this place and say, well, God did a work today. Amen? So, yeah. So what was the solution to this, you know, indifference to the manifested presence of God? You know, they had no idea. It was a paradigm shift. They needed a paradigm shift for the presence of God. And the way to perceive and approach the presence of God in a unique way, and I think that's what happened at Mount Sinai, where these people experienced a paradigm shift. <laughs> we need a paradigm shift. Amen. We need a paradigm shift. We, gotta, we can't just, just say, Lord, this is the way it is. No. The presence of God forces a paradigm shift. Amen? We, and, and we may have had a paradigm shift years ago, but we might need another paradigm shift because we could get caught up in the same routine. So we're, all of us can use a paradigm shift, a renewed, fresh perspective on the greatness, power, beauty of God. Amen? That's what we long for when we gather together, man. I, I want to experience God in the fullness that, that pleases him. And so we need, a, we need a paradigm shift. And the people, um, that day, the people experienced a paradigm shift. And the people became acutely aware of two things. Um, and we see that in the following verse, tw verse 23. 
19, um, sorry, chapter 20, verse 19, the first thing that the people became aware was the holy presence of God. They said, do not let God see. Now, obviously there's a lot that we can say about that. But what's interesting is that what does Exodus 20, let's go to Exodus 20, 18. Look at what Exodus 20, 18 says. What did they hear? Thunder, flashes of lightning, sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking. How did the people interpret that? Go to verse 19. How did they interpret that? They interpret it as what? God speaking. Phenomenon, it's funny how, 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 that, how accurate that is in, in real life, right? Phenomenon. People see phenomenon. Thunder. Ah, it's just thunder. Ah, it's just lightning. But in this occasion, they had a revelation. Oh, no, no, no. This is not just thunder. This is God. How did they know that? I mean, was it self-evident? Probably. But they did, the author describes the phenomenon of thunder, lightning, trumpets as the voice of God. And that's what it was. It was the voice of God. And not just the voice of God. What is that voice doing? Speaking. To whom? To them. It does not say, oh, don't let God speak. He's just speaking like God is rambling. You know, I am the Lord, my God. <laughs> like, like, no, no. They discerned not only that God was speaking, but that that word. <laughs> they understood God was speaking to Julius. Bob. <laughs> like, that word was personal. Right? God is not into, like, fireworks. God is not into, like, let's, let's really give him some good fireworks today. No, when God's presence comes, it is as personal as it gets. Don't, do not let God speak to us. They felt it. They understood it, that this was not just verbal phenomenon. This was speaking authoritatively with command into each part. So that each person understood God's speaking to me. Man, that must have been awesome. <laughs> right? You know, to, 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 to everyone, to get a real sense, God is speaking to us. He's, he's not just God, in, 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 just occupied with the stars. He's now focused his attention on this little guy here. <laughs> what, do you, what do you do? Like, what do you do? Face to face. This is no ordinary church service. That's why we need the presence of God. You know, that's why we need his presence. Because when his presence comes, it's a personal encounter with God. And he's going to speak to you things, number one, that you need to hear. 
And the beautiful thing about God's word to us is that it's so personal. Now, he'll speak to this person. He'll, he'll speak two different things. But the impact is profound because each person is their, is its own receiver of the word of God. Unique, personal receiver with his own frequency. 104.3, 104.2, 67.9. There's no two 104.3. There's no two 67.9. Every unique being, every person is entirely beautifully unique. And so God's word is not just coming randomly. It comes in a profound. It may sound the same. It may have the same words, but the, it lands with personal power. It lands with reality for that individual. Amen? That's the glory of the presence of God. That, and, and he answers questions that you have been wondering for years. And in a moment, oh, <laughs> I get it. Amen? It's like this is, this is light that, that comes to us by the presence of God, and, and, we're, and we're just set free on so many levels. Emotionally, you are free. Because we got so much hang-ups. We got so many questions. We got so much perplexity, right? And God's word coming. He may, not, he may not eliminate every one of them. He doesn't. Because you got to keep trusting God. But I love it when he comes in and he just wipes out three of them. <laughs> this is so perplexing but 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 here's the thing always i have never gotten an answer from god that has not led me to rejoice it's not like oh i get it lord but i don't like it you know what <laughs> at the end of the day when we see it we see it man you are good you are wise right so, so, so does a matter what you're going through, I just know, I don't care how painful, I don't care how, dis, dis, uh, how unpleasant it is. When God speaks into that situation, be like, oh, this is it. Praise God, I'm going through this. And we need that. We need that kind of comfort. I don't know about you. We need that kind of comfort. When we look at the world and how perplexing everything seems, why so much lawlessness and evil? Does that affect you? We need the Lord's comfort. We have so many, sometimes personal and down, just circumstances that are tough, right? Helps that you feel you're bearing it alone. And it's like nobody, nobody really understands what I'm going through. How many of us carry that? We do. We, all of us carry that. We, we carry that, the tears at the beginning of the process. Nobody knows what God And there's coming a day where God's going to comfort his people. Isaiah 40, oh, comfort ye, comfort ye, oh, my people. I believe there's coming a day he's going to comfort the pain that you've gone through, that you don't understand, that you wonder, you've been perplexed for 20 years. You've just You've learned to tolerate it. You've learned to like, it is what it is. But if you stand faithful, God is going to come. And that's what the presence of God does. It's, it comes to really just really strengthen our hearts. But that's not the only thing it came to do. The next, the next phrase. 
Uh, Lord, I think I have another slide with it, with that red. Uh, lest we die. <laughs> oh, man. Yep. They not only became acutely aware of the presence of God, but they became acutely aware of an imminent threat to themselves. <laughs> Praise God for this. Amen. Praise God that, that he humbles us and, and um, lest we die. You know, and then they're just echoing something that's been in the scriptures, right? Look at Isaiah 6 5. Isaiah 6 5. Woe is me. That's, that's what they're saying. Same thing they're saying. Woe is me. Isaiah came into the presence of God, saw the, the Lord high and lifted up, and the angels of the Lord cry, Holy, holy, holy. Woe is me. That's the same thing. We need moments like that. That's helpful. That's not bad. Our biggest enemy is not the world. Our biggest enemy is not even the devil. Our biggest enemy is ourselves. We need moments like that. Isaiah needed a moment like that to, to, you know, to, to really inaugurate his ministry. We need moments like that. And these people, praise God, you know. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speed it up here. Why did the Lord, why did the Lord um, have to do all this? I mean, what do you see in this picture in Exodus? What's your, what's your, perspe- what's your paradigm of what's happening in Exodus 2018? Well, he gives us an explanation in Exodus 2020, and he tells them, I've read this on several occasions. Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you. So he's telling you why God is doing this. He's doing this that the fear of him may be before you. So it's not rocket science. God knows what he's doing. You know, this was the intended effect. God intended them to be afraid and to tremble. They, God intended that. He's going to, you know, God succeeded. He's, he's, that, that, that fear of him may be before you. But why, was, why is it necessary that the fear of God be before them? That you may not sin. Lord, I think I have another slide that might just highlight that. That you may not sin. And this is where the Lord really like, oh man, broke my heart. It just broke my heart. You may not sin. What are you reading at? That you may not sin. Uh, And I was thinking, in order to appreciate this concern of God, two things that you need to know. Some of you might be looking at Exodus 20 like, that's just terrifying. I don't like this message. It's kind of dark. Can you tell me that that I'm just happy and that we're going to be happy, 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 happy? You know, some, some of you go to church and they, and they look at these passages and they're like, this is such a terrible passage. This is so dark. Rami said, the Lord of the Rings. You know? <laughs> I want to change your perspective. In order to appreciate God's concern that they may not sin, you have to remember, again, God is inaugurating his relationship with the people he brought out of Egypt. 
right? Look at this, Exodus 19, 4 and 5. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles so and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my command, you shall be my treasured possession. For all the earth is mine. Why is God inaugurating a relationship with them? Because he loves them. Look at Deuteronomy 7. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you for you. You were the fewest of them. But it's because the Lord loves you. He loves you. The, really, the Lord really wants this relationship with his people to work. He knows that the key to a healthy relationship with him is that you may not sin. Right? He knows that. He loves them. In other words, all that sound, all that phenomena is an act of tremendous divine love. He's loving them through the phenomenon. He's speaking very cloudly. I love you. Can you hear that? Do you see that? I love you. Behind all the noise and all that thing is a tremendous love for his people. He's doing this now. I'm God and they got to fear me. He's not doing it like that. <laughs> He's doing it because he loves them. He's demonstrating how much he loves them and wants to enjoy relationship with them. He's looking forward to it. God is motivated to secure a relationship with his people. Amen? But you know what also caught my attention is that, uh, secondly, in order to appreciate what's happening here, God's concern, it is you've got to remember that God is a very emotional being. <laughs> People don't like to say that, but he is. Like, God is an emotional being a thousand times more than you are. He's a perfectly emotional being. I never, I never forget one time I was driving my car in, just in New York, and I was listening to the song, and I felt like the Lord just said, man, you know, I'm like a thousand times more passionate than you are. I said, oh, yeah, I feel that. You know, the idea that we think of God being like just like a, a system of like divine attributes. <laughs> it's like, yeah, let it be done, let it be done. <laughs> it's like, no, God is an emotional being. He's just like you and I. Now, it's different. Our emotional matrix is corrupted with all kinds of selfish interests. Yes. But that doesn't mean don't throw away the baby with the bathwater. Our emotions, God is an emotional being. Jeremiah 31, 20. Is Ephraim my dear son? Do you hear the affection? Not just my son. Is Ephraim my son? No. He's my dear son. Is, is he my darling child? My darling. Ephraim is my darling. For as often as I see against him, I, I remember him. I remember him. 
Oh, his heart's a little bit with the boys. And John's heart, oh. He's like, God is emotional. My heart yearns for him. God is in love. And he's not like you and me. Well, we put walls around people. Oh, I'm not, I guard my heart, right? Got my heart. I'm not going to get hurt. I'm not going to get hurt by this, you know, in my voice. <laughs> I'm going to guard my heart. That's not the way God does it. God throws himself completely into his people. Throws himself. My heart yearns for him. God is very passionate in, in his relationship, and he feels deeply for those whom he loves. He just can't move on. I'll just get another girlfriend. <laughs> um. No, God is not like that. You may be like that. God is not like God is a God emotionally attached. So we don't we don't we don't think about it. We 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 think of God like this. That's why we our our relationship sometimes is so like dry because we just treat Him the way we think that He is towards us. It's just a reflection. But when you realize that He He's hotly in love with you. It changes how you approach him. Do you know that, you know, I, I put this respectfully, but in Exodus 20, do you know that G, uh, God is still recovering? Emotionally. You know, he's like, well, God, God never recovers. Yeah, of course. No, he doesn't. I'm using, I'm using language to help you understand that's something that we just don't think about. But he's still recovering. What is he recovering from? Uh, you know, we, always, we always look at one side of the Garden of Eden. We fail to recognize how beautiful the relationship was between God and Adam. God delighted in this. It was called a garden of Eden. You know what Eden means in the Hebrew? It doesn't mean ceremony. It doesn't mean ordinances. It means pleasure. Delight. That's why I named my daughter It was a garden of pleasure. Now, of course, whenever we think of pleasure, we think, oh, yeah, Adam was so happy. He played with the animals. He, 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 he had so much fun with the fruit. He, 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 it was so much fun with the grass. The grass was so pleasurable. No. Why was it pleasurable? Why? It was relational pleasure. It was relational delightfulness. It was, the, the, come on, we, we like to pleasure in things. That's not the way God is. God pleasures in people. It was a pleasure of delight both for Adam and for God. It was like, this is beautiful. Adam, come. Let's run through here. Come on, Adam. Yes, yes, Lord. It was, God was 
just, oh, I'm so good. I'm great. <laughs> right? That's why he said it was so good. It was because Adam and him, right, and Eve, they had just a wonderful, beautiful, we came and we came to conceive. How beautiful that relationship was between God and Adam and Eve, right? And, and, right, and they just delighted in God. What do you think they were delighting in? It was relational bliss. Amen? Now let me ask you something. When Adam ate the fruit, how did God feel? Let me, let me look at that. Well, Adam, you jerk, you know, you, you, right? Has anyone ever considered God's heart? Has anyone ever considered his heart drop? He was born in sin. We don't consider that of God. We just think God, he's in control. He does it, right, right? We, we have this idea that God doesn't feel. He feels. He feels deeply. He's not like you and I. We have, we, our relationship really are just shallow compared to God. He's deep. He enjoys deeply. And um, when Adam fell, right? Adam left the garden and separated. Yeah, we see it from Adam's point of view, like, oh, man, I can't, man, I'm going to miss all that. But look at it from God's point of view. Ah, the pain, right? You know, I think, I think that scripture that we read in Jeremiah, oh, Ephraim, right, Ephraim, Ephraim, right? I think there's another scripture that you can hear the Lord cry, oh, Ephraim, oh, Ephraim. I, that's an echo of what happened in the garden. See, we look at Exodus and we look at, oh, that's a very frightening picture. No, it's a beautiful picture of his love for his people. So I don't want to go down this path again. I don't want to lose you. I need to do something so you can fear me. That's what's motivating him. His love. The worst thing about sin is that it breaks that intimate fellowship between God and his people, right? It breaks it. We look at sin like, a, stop doing it. And, and we're just like morals. Just don't do it. Now, can you forget about the moral? Think about the heart. Think about the love, the relationship, the fellowship. That when we sin, when we just do what we want, it's not that we broke a commandment. We gotta stop thinking like that. We gotta say, "No, my my Lord, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to break it. Right? I didn't mean to, to betray you. It's a, it's a relational thing." Isaiah 59 verses one and two: Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your. And we got a new paradigm, a paradigm of his love. A parrot, right? We can't be addressing God like some mechanical being. He's a God that yearns deeply for you, loves you deeply. And he's doing everything he can, not to exert his power and to make, but to love you, to keep you, to protect you. Amen?
So did it work? I'm going to, I'll wrap up with this. I'll wrap up. Thank you for your patience. Did it work? Did it work? Did it work? Yes, it did. It worked. <laughs> you see, um, Exodus 19.21. Look at Exodus 19.21. The Lord tells Moses, go down. Moses, warn the people. Please, Moses, I love my people. Please warn them. Lest they break through to the Lord and many will perish. Do you hear God's heart? No, most, many of us read it like, warn the people. Uh, they, they break through the Lord and they, they'll perish. We, we just we, we create this like hard God. Like, like he has no feelings. He just wants you to do what he says. Stop thinking of God like that. He's a God of love, a God of heart that really, yes, he's holy, absolutely. And that's why he's, but he, th there's a love that is driving him, pushing him. Um, Moses, go down, warn the people. Please warn them. Let's say break through to the Lord. And I'm sure that Moses, being obedient as he was, he says, okay, guys, don't, don't try to break through. And, and people are like, <laughs> I'm, I'm, let me say it again. Um, the Lord says to me to tell you, um, don't, don't break through to the Lord, lest you perish. And, and, and the people are like, yeah, Moses, yeah, we, got, we got you. We got you. Like so many on Sunday, yeah, amen, preacher. Amen. I don't think you're getting it. And Mo Moses, um, hey, listen to me, guys. I want to warn you. Don't break through. Perish. Yeah, yeah, Moses. Amen. You, you said it three times, Moses. What's the big deal? Okay. <laughs> Up until that moment, they were like, yeah, yeah. Good, good sermon. Man, that Moses, he's got a good deal. He just knows the Bible. I, I like him. I love the way he warned me. He looked us into the eye. I like that. <laughs> I really like that. But, but everything started changing in the thunder, the sound, the trumpet. <laughs> and let's see what, let's see, go, let's go back to Exodus 2018. And what did the people do? They stood far off. They got it. The Lord warned them. They finally got it. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Let, let's stand back. They stood far off. Exactly as the Lord said, tell the people, don't break through. Be careful how you handle the things of God. Be careful, like, take, honor me. Don't be so presumptuous, right? Right? But we, when we don't have that encounter, we, we, we just like, uh, we do whatever we want, right? <laughs> but when God comes, there's a carefulness, right? We are more careful. Whoa, whoa, um, yeah. we took a step, right? And the people, they, they took a step. Stood far. It worked. How many of them perished that day? Zero. Later on, different story. <laughs> but, but but for now, it worked. It worked. Nobody was per nobody perished. They stood far off. What? We're Daniel. Now we get you. <laughs> now we we Daniel. Why didn't you tell us? I did tell you. 
But when the presence of God comes, it makes it, it, makes it more clear. Amen? Well, let's stand. Let's stand. The fear of the Lord, right? Thanks for your patience. And, um, but Psalm, Psalm 19, 13 says, keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Presumptuous, you know, this idea that um, we just take it for granted. We make assumptions about God. The fear of the Lord keeps us, you know. What makes a person just watch pornography? They make an assumption. Ah, it'll be okay. I doubt it very much that they would be like, oh, the moment I, if I knew, if they knew in their heart that the moment they press a button and a, a, a store comes cuts their neck, neck off, They'd be like, <laughs> I'm not touching that button. <laughs> right? It's not, it's not rocket science. Right? If we knew there would be major consequences if we did our nonsense, would we do them? Probably not. Right? Our ignorance, right? And w- but, you know, I'm using, I'm, I'm using, but how many times, maybe it's not pornography, maybe it's, you know, other things. We're presumptuous. We just kind of like, we're not taking into consideration. We're not standing far off. We're not saying, whoa, 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 whoa. No, I'm not going that. I'm not going in that direction. I know the Lord warned me. Don't break through. Right? And we need, we, that's why we need the Lord's help. You cannot do that on your own strength. We are presumptuous to the core. We are presumptuous. We we, we just think we could get away with everything, right? I mean, we could just get away with it because he loves me, right? We could justify anything. But the fear of the Lord just, it creates that really wonderful kind of adjustment, you know? Cut off Israel. Be careful he doesn't cut you off too, <laughs> right? Right, this idea that, you know, you, 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 okay, no, God, you're fearful. You hate sin. It divides me. You know, you take that my relationship serious. You know, right? So no, I'm not gonna, I'm not going that way. The fear of the Lord, amen, helps us to live our lives with boundaries that we don't cross, and we're more careful. You know, no. I want my, I want to, I don't want to separate my relationship with Jesus for no reason. I don't care. Nope, not going that way. It's beautiful. You know, you guys know how much He loves you. You guys don't realize. I love my relationship with God, and no, I don't want nothing to separate me from that. Amen, because he's so great. Let them not have dominion over me, and I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgressions. I, I want you to be encouraged, right? Um, and you know, let me just end with, and we're going to sing that song, if you don't mind. You know, just give me a few minutes. And, oh, how he loves you and me. I really felt it, you know, his love. He loves us. Some of you have a bad, bad paradigm about God, and you think that he's just this kind of demanding. He's demanding, and you just got to obey him. And I'm praying that God would rip that out of you because he's not like that. All he does is motivated by love for you in an infinite way. I mean, how could, why would anybody want to offend a God like that that really loves us even when we're like, 
selfish to the core. He does not abandon you. Amen? But let me put, let me put this scripture, Psalm 34, 11. Psalm 34, 11. L- listen to this. And I've been speaking this, but come, O children. Psalm 34, 11. I think I have that scripture for you right here. Come, O children. Do you, do you hear that? Not come, O you knuckleheads. That's many, many of us, let's be honest. Come, you, you knuckleheads. I'm tired of your living. I'll teach you to fear the Lord. Yeah. That's where we read it. And the Lord is saying, you're my children. Come, children. It's an invitation. It's not like come to the principal's office. It's come to the Father. I. Oh, that's beautiful. I myself, I'm not going to hand this off to the archangel. He could do a pretty good job. I said, no, 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 I'm going to teach you. I know you. All ways you think, I know exactly how to teach you how to do it. Isn't that beautiful? Come, come, children. I'll teach you. Do you want to know the fear of the Lord? I do. Lord, open up my eyes to the greatness of who you are. Let's pray. We're going to sing, oh, how he loves you and me. Lord, I just thank you. I'm so sorry for all the ways that we think about you. You love us deeply. You love us deeply. And our minds oftentimes are clouded, clouded with hostility. And when we go to the word of God, it, what we read is, what we see is the hostile God. But your God's full of compassion. Your heart yearns for us. You don't push us away. I, I can't even think about Richie, Lord's brother, who's struggling, feels abandoned by God. And I can only think of how many how many, how many believers walk around feeling like you don't love them, you have abandoned them? And it's because Satan has been able to warp their thinking. See, see uh, you as a hard God. You know, like that one, um, one with the parable of the talent. And he said, knowing that he, you were hard, he hid his talent. Oh, God, whip that out of all of us, Lord. All of us, to some degree, I believe, we, we have these things in us, and we, 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 we misinterpret you. We don't see your love. And I pray that you would change that today. And that you will fill hearts with your love, the love of Christ that changes us. So I pray your ministry now, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, as we wait upon you, Lord, and ask, oh, God, you would change us so that we can live a life full of joy and full of, Lord, knowing who we, we belong to, and we're no longer looking for Lord, our, Lord to, to fill our, our self-esteem with garbage. Lord, we belong to you, and that's enough. And so I pray, your, your Lord, come Holy Spirit and minister this into the hearts of your people. Let's sing. And if you want to just come to the front and just pray and ask God, you know, to fill you with his love, ah, this is a good time. Amen? A good time to do that. But come with joy. Come that he's, um, he's a good father. Amen. Oh, how he loves 
you and me. Hallelujah.